Welcome, TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very solicitous Elliot Shibley. Elliot? Solicitous? Yes. Is that, that good? Means? It is. It's, is, it's, is it? It it's sounds char- like a like solicitation. Characterized, characterized by or showing interest or concern. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I don't mind that then. I, I, <laughs> I have a bad connotation with like a solicitor. Right. Right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, you could definitely see how the, the words tie together. But no, I, I meant it in a, um, uh, a positive, positive way. way. I did. Well, yeah. Thank you. A compliment. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, so before we get into the, the details, what do we have going on? Yeah. So we haven't really talked about it much, but we want to make sure that folks listening are also uh, paying attention to our Instagram or Facebook And we also have a private Traveler's Blueprint community group where most of our previous guests are also a part of that community. And you can interact with them, talk to them, converse with them, whatever you want. And we post many photos from our guests that coincide with the podcast so you can learn more information beyond just what we have listed in the episode. Also, if you... If this is the first time you are joining us on this travel journey, we... Thank you for joining us and please hit the subscribe button and we post a new podcast every Monday with a new traveler or adventurer. And the first Monday of every month is last month's travel news. Also, our website has specific travel gear with recommendations or you can book a trip with previous guests. Now, the question, the trivia question for last week was for Andrew Tyree. And the question was... What waterfall did people go to on his trip? And the answer to that is Hierva al Agua, which literally translates to stone waterfall. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's in such a beautiful waterfall. And, uh, and it's worth the Google image search if you can do it. So. Absolutely. All right. So, so this podcast, I was actually alone. Elliot was preoccupied. And so on, on the podcast, I spoke with a lifelong resident of Venice, he is also the owner and operator of Tour Leader Venice, which specializes specializes in tours throughout the city and the surrounding islands. And on this podcast, we really focused on his tours that seek to bring travelers off the beaten path while in Venice, including where to eat and how to get more in tune with like the local way of life. So I really think this conversation will be a great resource for those planning a trip to Venice and and I hope you enjoy it. So without further introduction, please give it up for my next guest, Igor Skamparin. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Igor, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Ciao, Bob. Uh, Thank you. I'm really happy to be with you today, actually. Welcome to Venice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so right before the show, I told you that I have a trip planned uh, to coming to Venice. Um, I'm going to spend a few days there with my wife and daughter. And... There, there is a lot to learn on this very small city. It's one of the most highly sought after travel destinations on the planet. And it gets a lot of tourists, right? It is getting crazy busy here. Think about that. Venice is pretty much uh, twice as big as Central Park, New York, 12 square miles. And in a year round, we're getting approximately 26, uh, 30 million visitors in a year. Wow. <laughs> wow. Get 26, 26 to 30 million visitors per year. That's totally right. Wow. And uh, uh, on the other hand, think about that we are only 
53,000 inhabitants. That's it. So wow. the population is slowly going down and the amount of tourists is getting pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, today we're, we're going to talk about pretty much how to see Venice, the best ways to experience the city in relation to the food and the wine and the architecture, and of course, gondola rides. You can't go to Venice without a gondola ride. Uh, but before we get into that, I have a question for you. You, did, you grew up in Venice, correct? I was born and raised in Venice, actually, but as many of us Venetians, uh, you reach a point, actually, that you're going to be a bit busy, or better, the city is starting to get really busy. Just think about living downtown Manhattan, and you reach the point that you need a break, and you definitely need to move out. As you might go out into New Jersey, Queens, or whatever, it's exactly the same thing for us. And so think about that many years ago, we moved out of Venice, and right now I live in the city that is called Treviso, which is almost uh, a thousand, a ta- more than a thousand years older than Venice. Wow. Okay. Well, my, my question is, when did you, growing up in Venice, when did you realize that you were living in such a unique city? There's no city on the planet like Venice with the wood, the canals and, you know, its placement in, in this lagoon. At what age did you say, wow, like there's nowhere else like this on the planet? And I grew up my entire life here and it was it's just normal to you. But for, for us, actually, it's getting really normal. Uh, and uh, walking around, seeing arts everywhere is pretty incredible. Or just think about when you are a little boy or something like four, five, six years old, co- um, playing soccer, football into the main plaza. <laughs> and that, that yeah. is different, actually. And uh, on the other hand, if you think about that until several years ago, we had no crimes at all. Kids that were literally able to play in venice itself without problems without restrictions the only problem was when the ball was ending up into the canal that he was <laughs> waving to the closest gondolier or the closest friends with the boat hey hey give me the ball back and yeah. we need to continue to play that that was the situation actually but you realize immediately how amazing the city is you realize when the first time that you move out of the island and you go to the mainland that you see, you start to see cars, you go back, you start to see boats and you see how different, how quiet and how beautiful uh, your surrounding is. Yeah. Wow. I bet. It's, yeah. I, I mean, as soon as you step out and come back in, you have to say, wait a second, there aren't canals in, in any <laughs> other city and gondola rides, but... All right, so, but so even, now you're... Even, even when you share these kind of stories with the people that live in the mainland, that you're like, hey, uh, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I went out with grandpa. We went fishing with the boats. I learned how to row, how to swim. That is a totally different story. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's such a beautiful city and it has so much history. And I mean, I, I don't wonder for a second why it's such a high destination for tourism. I can't wait to visit. And... Uh, it sort of reminds me of Dubrovnik in Croatia, which I visited and fell in love with. This seems to be uh, a Croatia with canals, in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but but I'm that, really that makes forward. sense. You are totally right, Bob. Especially because think about that the Venetian Republic it was starting pretty much where Milan is. To give you an idea, it ended up down to Greece. And so you might see a lot of Venetian styles as Venetian architecture all along the Mediterranean area. 
and uh, everything has been contaminated after the republic that lasted almost 1100 years yeah wow all right well well let's let's get into it so for travelers listening to this who are either planning to come to venice or planning to go back to venice it's pretty typical for them to fly into the marco polo airport correct that's totally right and and so from the marco polo airport how would one get into the city of venice you do have many different options actually but it really depends where your hotel is so the idea and, and your budget too and so let's say that uh, if you are in a really low budget the easiest way is as long that you step out of the um, airport you get bus number five uh, that is the direct line that is linking venice airport to venice piazzale roma which is the car terminal the bus terminal and that's the only place uh, that can be reached by car at that point or bus actually at that point you need to drop the cars the four wheels and you start to walk around actually and uh, that is something like uh, seven eight euros uh, per person per ride and that's the cheapest way i say if your hotel is more down to the area of rialto or st mark square and you are still in a really low budget uh, let's say that you got a um, shuttle boat that is called Ali Laguna that is pretty much linking the airport with uh, these different destinations. Let's say Rialto, which is pretty much in the middle of the city, and uh, St. Mark's Square that is like Times Square if you want. And that one it should be something like uh, um, 15 euros per person per ride. Otherwise, you can get a um, water taxi. And that one is the quickest and the best way to get into Venice. You got something like a 30, 35 minutes boat ride. And that is going to be amazing because you will be flying on the Venetian Lagoon. You are going to be able to see all these incredible islands. You will be able to see the island of Burano, where renowned for the colorful houses. Torcello, where Ernest Hemingway spent it a little bit. You will be able to see Murano for the glass blowing factories. And then you will be able to get into Venice itself. And that wow. costs something like 110, 120 euros. It depends on number of people, number of bags, and all these things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And those islands, uh, hopefully we have time. I'd like to visit that, um, what to do on some of those islands later on after we get through Venice. But all right. So now you're in Venice and most people go to St. Mark's Square, correct? That's totally right. Is that what you would do? Would you just head, you know, you, you land, you throw your bags down and head straight to see St. Mark's Square? No what? way. <laughs> that's just going to be the last point. <laughs> I, well, so, so that's actually so something that I noticed with like reviewing your page and your tours. You like to offer off the beaten path tours to give people are right. a better feel for Venice. And so let's hear it from you. What would you do as a first timer in Venice? How would you go about seeing the city? And so from my point of view, actually, for first-timers, uh, the best way to enjoy the city is as long as you are arriving to your apartment, Airbnb hotel in Venice, uh, you drop your bags off, and uh, I would leave Rialto Bridge, St. Mark's Square, all these kind of highlights for late, late afternoon or either in the evening. Because at that point, the majority of the day trippers, they're all going back to the cruise ships or they are going back to the mainland where they got the hotels because not many people can afford to sleep in Venice itself because sometimes accommodation can be really expensive. And so getting at the first uh, 
point, at the first moment, a orientation walk off the beaten path to see the real Venice, uh, to see, of course, some of the main sites, some of the main touristic areas, that is going to be great because at that point it's going to give you the full view, the full flavor of the city, maybe stopping some little bakeries, uh, having a glass of Prosecco, the white sparkling wine here and there, uh, or just enjoying the gondolas passing by. That is going to be super cool, I believe, for first-time visitors. Right. But for okay. sure, I would leave St. Mark and Rialto for late evening. Okay, so so you're in Venice, and you're going to save those tourist destinations for later, later which I like. <clears throat> and that's something that I was actually going to look into and ask you about, whether or not you should save them for the evening or for maybe like super early morning, get there before anybody shows up, maybe to experience walking around without major crowds. Um, but that being said, where would you recommend maybe someone getting a nice espresso and uh some pastries to sort of get them going, you know, give them the energy to walk around after a long time. Right, flight. right, right. <laughs> yeah, to, to get a nice kick to let you start yeah. to run up and down of the 400 bridges of Venice. Right, right. Let's say we do have a district in Venice that is called Canareggio. Um, it's oh, a so really... Can, can, Canareggio. Canareggio. Okay. Okay. And so it's pretty much close by the area of the train station, to give you an idea. It's pretty much uh, close by the area of the Jewish Quarter. That is an incredible area because it's really laid back, quiet, lovely, relaxing. But right there, you got the best cafeteria of the entire island, actually. You got Torrefazione Canareggio. They are still, <laughs> I know that is tricky <laughs> Italian. <laughs> it's a funny language. <laughs> it's, that's, yeah, that, that was, I'm, I, so I'm trying to learn Italian right now with audio books. Um, and it's, it's been a challenge. So, uh, Bob, but the problem is that we don't speak Italian in Venice. We speak Venetian, which is a totally different language. It's like oh, a dialect of slang. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I won't count on using it in Venice. But um, all right. So I see the Canareggio, and, and I'm sorry, uh, dismiss my horrible Italian accent, but I see that neighborhood on Google Maps, and that looks like it's the northern part of the island. You are definitely right. Let's say it's north, uh, uh, west, uh, a bit. Yep. Okay. Uh, you will be able to see the, the area of the Jewish ghetto. Mm -hmm. That for us uh, is not a bad meaning, but it means just district quarter. And so, no, no, nothing to be worried about. That right, yeah. Like the ghetto that you are thinking about. Right, right. And, and then I believe this is where the term ghetto came to be, correct? You are definitely right, actually, because uh, uh, at the real beginning, we used to say ghetto. As the Germans, they were not able to say ghetto. They started to say ge, ghetto. Here we go, ghetto. But what is the real meaning? Uh, foundry, the place where we would have had all the industries where they were melting all the different mm, metals. Okay. So restricted area. And think about that. We just celebrated a few years ago, 500 years of Jewish ghetto, of the Jewish district. Wow. And and I'm looking at it on Google Maps, and it's actually an island within Venice itself. Yeah, you are right. And so if, cool. if you start to look at the map, we mm -hmm. got uh, something like more than 400 bridges, and we got more than 100 
20 islands, 130 islands, that they are all linked by bridges, actually. So okay. Venice is not the island itself, but it's many islands linked together by bridges. Very cool. So, all right, so going back to the coffee. And sí. the, the name, can you say the name of that one more time for me, please? Torrefazione Canareggio. Torrefazione Canareggio. I'm going to try to type that into Google. Yeah, th these guys, actually, they are still roasting the coffee beans inside. Uh, they got a blend that is called uh, Remer, R-E-M-E-R. That it means rower. It's got a kind of a orangey flavor in the coffee. And that is incredible, actually. Ooh, yeah, so they actually infuse their coffee with orange? No, but I don't know exactly how everything is working, but at the end you got this, um, let's say, Mediterranean flavor on the coffee. And so that is going to be the kick of the day, actually. That espresso is going to let you go for the rest of your day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, all right, that sounds awesome. So... And that, that kind of works really well for someone arriving to Venice who maybe has a light bag uh, because the this area, this neighborhood is very close to the train station that they'll end up getting trapped off at. See, you are right. And so it's just a few minutes away. Right. So and if you choose to walk through Venice, which if you're just getting there and you were on a long flight might seem like a good idea. I, I, it sounds like a great idea to me. You can just jump right into that neighborhood instead of going to, to immediately to the tourist destination jump right into the uh, Conoregio neighborhood, grab an espresso, and then and then be on your way. Okay, so espresso in hand. You just saw the Jewish ghetto. Now where are you headed? Uh, probably actually to see <laughs> a really funny place to me. Uh, it's a church. You are able to see just the outside. It's called the Church of the Misericordia. Misery. Uh, why is so funny a church? And so the church is something like 500 years old. But until... 30 years ago, it was a gym. We used to play basketball inside of the church, like NBA. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, they were playing with frescoes uh, of something like 500 years old, that they were completely decorating the entire um, basketball field. Wow. Okay. And uh, in the same area, actually, you got one of the oldest bridges that we got in Venice. That is pretty much the only one left without railings, without protections. At the real beginning, actually, think about it, that the majority of the bridges of Venice, they are approximately 500 years old. And that they had no railings, no protections. This one is the only one left. And that is going to be spectacular. And what is the name of that bridge? Ponte Chiodo, P-O-N-T-E, Ponte means bridge, Chiodo, C-H-I-O-D-O, -O. that is like nail. Okay, yeah, I'm writing all this down. Just check it out, <laughs> if you are yeah. able to see it. That is going to be one of the best places for pictures, actually. And uh, you've you got two, two bridges that they are in parallel. And that is going to be fantastic to take pictures of gondolas passing by, reflections of the houses in the water. And so that, that is going to be an awesome spot. It sounds, sounds like a, a, a travel influencer's uh, dream spot. Absolutely. And if you run out of energy after the coffee, you can get a nice wine bar in that area. I'm glad <laughs> you brought that up. Okay, so now 
now you've had the espresso, you maybe had a pastry or two, you're walking around Venice and you're enjoying yourself, but now it's, it's lunchtime and yep. you want to grab something quick to eat, but you also obviously want a glass of wine, which I know it's very popular to serve, to serve with, with lunch. Is that correct? It's definitely right. Actually. Okay. And, uh, for us, lunch uh, is more like a quick bite. It's like finger foods. Uh, and so the we call it chicchetti, chicchetti. So it's exactly like tapas, if you want. And so you pop in into a bar, you got uh, many different choices that it can be a piece of bread with Parma ham or mozzarella cheese, or you might have, uh, uh, what, uh, fried olives, stuff we meat. Or you might have uh, uh, fried mozzarella cheese uh, stuffed with uh, ham. And so you got these little specialties that they are fantastic. And so you buy those for something like a couple of euros, two, three, four euros. Same thing for the glass of wine that is something like two, three, four euros. It depends what you're drinking. And that is going to be a great way to have lunch from my point of view. Yeah, <laughs> I think from anybody's <laughs> point of view, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah, all of that. I, the, I think my issue would be it's supposed to be a light lunch, but I would eat so much of that those small dishes that it would then be an incredibly heavy lunch, followed by a few glasses <laughs> of wine. I'm going to end up stuck on a bench somewhere. Or swimming in the canal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so so now you have that. You have a full belly. Where are you headed? I will try to experience, we're going to talk about gondolas later on, but let's say if, again, you are a student, you are in a low budget or anything like that, we in Venice, we've got something that is called traghetto. Traghetto are gondola crossings, shortcuts. So it means that when you don't have a bridge, there's a kind of a double gondola, a big gondola that is able to take you across the Grand Canal. You pay something like two euros and you can experience a quick gondola ride to enjoy the atmosphere, to see all the boats passing by. And that is going to be, again, super cool, actually. So normally in a traghetto, you are standing. You are not sitting in the gondola. you got two gondoliers, one in front and one on the back, actually. As long as they start to cross the Grand Canal, they are stopping the traffic. And so they got the right away. And so the big vaporettos, the big water buses, they stop immediately and they let the, the gondola passing by and go on the other side, actually. And that is going to be pretty cool, too. Okay. Uh, so that's good to know. So if you're on one side of the Grand Canal, you're not necessarily stuck. You don't need to walk to the next bridge. If you're feeling lazy or maybe very full and you don't feel like moving very much, you can just <laughs> hop on um, one, of these, one of these boats. And can you, can you pronounce that again for me, please? Traghetto. Traghetto. And the Vaporetto is the large bus. It's essentially a water bus, correct? That's totally right, actually. Okay. Okay. And that's that's really good to know. I did not know that. So, yeah, go on. And so at that point, actually, where are we, where are we going? Uh, probably I would go to the fish and fruit market to see the catch of the day, to see everyday's life uh, and this kind of thing. So that is right at the footstep of the Rialto Bridge. The only thing that you need to remember when you are in Venice is uh, that the fish market is on from, uh, um, let's say, it's not on Monday and Sunday. All the other days is working and they start to open up really early in the morning 
and they shut it down uh, approximately at noon, 12.30-ish or so. So if you want to see the catch of the day, make sure that you're going to be before noon at the fish and fruit market to explore the area. And that is going to be another good spot if you want to have a quick lunch, a glass of wine, that you've got a little, um, little cafeterias, little bars uh, that they are offering tons of um, specialties, actually. Yeah, I actually, I, I in my research of Venice, I saw this, and it is. So it's right at the foot of the Rialto Bridge, and there is it. So is it an outdoor market? It's an out, mm, half and half. Okay. So basically, let's say that the fish market is under a palace, but is open air, actually. Oh, better. It's covered, but you can go in and out without problems. And okay. then the fruit market that is next to it uh, is covered by tents. Okay. Okay. So... If if someone is staying in Venice and they want to maybe buy their own ingredients, would this be the spot to do that, to maybe cook back at home? I would definitely say so. And so all the ingredients, they are going to be really fresh, especially fish. And so normally uh, the fishermen, so the local fishermen are bringing the fish to the fish market, something like at four or five o'clock in the morning. And so you will be having the catch of the day directly there and so everything is extremely fresh okay all right yeah that's that's something that my wife and i actually plan on doing because we're going to be with a toddler we realize that we're not going to be able to go out too late and there may be nights where we just decide to go in early put the baby to bed and then spend the night together in our in our place drinking wine you know that we just bought and <laughs> and maybe messing around with some of the local ingredients and trying to cook up our own italian dish so that's something that we're really looking forward to that we haven't done before and and this seems like the place that we'll be buying those ingredients yeah yeah and then you can try to experience so doing pizza pasta of uh, on your way at home <laughs> you know you're right now that's that's a question that i have for you pizza it is a, it, it, at this point, it might be like a global staple. I mean, who does not like pizza? And I think every culture seems to try to have their own uh, rendition of it now. But where would you get the best slice of pizza in Venice? Uh, let's say mm, you told me that you're going to be in a pretty big uh, Italian trip and you will be traveling from the northern part of Italy going down south. Correct. From my point of view, it's better if you hold up a bit. And you're going to have the pizza in Napoli, in Naples. They do have the best pizza. But look, it's exactly <laughs> like back home. Uh, New York pizza is totally different than Chicago pizza. Right. right. Okay, they're all good, but they are different. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's hard to mess up pizza. It can be done. I've had some pretty bad pizza in my day. But I highly doubt that Venice will be one of those places, even if it isn't on par with Naples. I mean, Naples is, you know, the pizza, right? That's the bar. Yeah, so, that, that is the VIP pizza, <laughs> yeah, no, no right. matter what. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, all right. Let's so, say the, the, not far from uh, the fish market, uh, um, you do have uh, a pizza place, but they make it really deep. It's like deep pan pizza, and that might be a solution, actually. And uh, mm, hold on, um, right at the market. We do have a bakery that they just opened up and they display the pizza directly in the counter and they got some incredible slices of pizza, actually. But let's say, still in the fish and fruit market, that should be the ideal spot for pizza. 
Okay. All right. So there are just pizza restaurants around there that you can just grab a slice as you're. Yeah, yeah, walking. that should be no problem. So you won't be starving to death uh, in <laughs> Italy, not only in Venice, in Italy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, yeah, I, I don't think anybody has to worry about that there. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so so now we have the food down. Oh, we, we can come back to it later for dinner time, which I really want to talk about. But um, what are some of the more underrated attractions in Venice that people often overlook that you, as a local being born and raised there, would highly highly recommend to those people oh uh, that is a kind of difficult uh, but let's say underrated areas uh, underrated things uh, it can be what the gondola shipyard and so gondola shipyard yeah the gondola garage (laughs) (laughs) put it in this way actually and so think about that in venice we do have uh, a gondola garage it's exactly where they built up the gondolas itself and that might be really interesting to see it it's the gondola dealer and so it means that you can, as a gondolier, you go there, they check the measure of your body, how tall you are, the weight, the style of how you row it, and they built up a gondola that it will suit on you. And so it's a custom-made gondola that it will fit exactly on you. And that is going to be really interesting. And from my point of view, not many people knows that we got gondola garage, gondola dealers, and these kind of things. Yeah, that is that that is funny, and that's a really cool way to get a, a an idea of what life is like for businesses there. I mean, that's one of the biggest operations on Venice. And so, where is that located on the island? And so, uh, it's situated in the southern part of Venice, close by the Academia Bridge. Okay, and I see so. It. Okay, it's not far from the Guggenheim Museum. Okay. Yeah, and okay. uh, the district is called Dorso Duro. Dorso Duro. All right. Yeah, I, I, th- I believe I see where it is. It's on the southern side of the island. You can go straight across the Ponte dell'Academia. Bravo. That's totally right. And then it is located on like a corner area, right south of a church. I think it is named yeah, Chiesa yeah, yeah. di San Trovaso. Bravissimo. That's totally right. And so okay. that one is called Squero di San Trovaso. Squero means shipyard, uh, gondola maker, actually. And uh, we don't have many left. Uh, there are something like uh, three or four left. And uh, uh, they are using exactly the same techniques as a thousand years ago. Wow. So think, think about that at the end of the season, each gondolier is bringing the gondola into the gondola garage and they repainted the entire gondola to make everything fresh, uh, nice and shiny. And they treat gondolas like babies. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. I Google Street viewed it and it is, it's very neat. And so for anybody listening too, I'm actually following this conversation uh, along with Google Earth, which... I like to use often. And if you were to do the same, you could really follow this conversation pretty easily and get an idea of the route that you would take as you walk through Venice. So jumping back into it, um, which tourist attraction or restaurant seems to be unknown? I know you just kind of said the gondola shop, but is there another, maybe maybe a restaurant that's off the beaten path that you would uh, recommend? And so th- there's a restaurant that is... Uh, mm, a family-run restaurant that is called Osteria alla Frasca. You spell it like O-S-T-E-R-A-A-A-L-L-A-F, 
F-R-A-S-C-A. Osteria alla frasca. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah, this is pretty <laughs> incredible because you got more seats outside than inside. It might fit four tables, five tables inside. And uh, it's pretty much under a tree. And the food is incredible. You will be in a super quiet neighborhood. It's going to be a kind of difficult to get there, but the place is unreal. I see, uh, yeah, so I found it on Google Earth again, and I, and I street viewed it. You can drop the little orange guy right down into the street. And yeah, so you have this tree growing over the canopy that's sort of <laughs> providing shade. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that I could see this now as we talk about it? So, and yeah, the thing that I really like is, yeah, you're right. It's, it's tucked away. It's pretty far away from uh, St. Mark's Square. Yeah. And so- Go, 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 go ahead. Okay. We should have kept this one a secret between you and I. I don't know if we want to let this one out for the... For... No, no, we, we keep that as a secret, but let's say, you know... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you so... to find that if you try to go there, that is a kind of mission impossible. Is it really? Well, yeah. I mean, you could... Millions of tourists get lost in Venice uh, every year, and so you might end up into the milk carton or anything like that. That's funny. <laughs> they had lost. Never to be seen again. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, is that something you would recommend to someone visiting Venice to just sort of try to get lost and walk around and experience the city in that way? This is the best way to see Venice, actually. Okay. Remember that we don't have bad neighborhoods. We don't have bad districts. So, of course, be a little bit careful of your belongings and anywhere else around the world. But definitely getting lost in Venice is the best part. And uh, you are going to see something that your friends, they might then not see it. That is going to be super cool for sure. Right. Yeah. Get that's, lost. That's, Get lost. That's something, you know, with a toddler, I plan on doing just because it's, it's easy to do. You know, we can just walk around without any timeline. If we have to go back to the hotel, we can. We're not signed up for any tours or anything like that. So we can just sort of aimlessly walk. My wife and I will enjoy it because we're, we're experiencing Venice and we're just looking at the architecture while simultaneously not having to be under any sort of rush. We can just do it at our own leisure. And some, so I'm really actually looking forward to just strolling through Venice. I mean, that in itself sounds amazing. That, that especially late afternoon, early evening, once that all the lights, they are starting to switch on, uh, everything is going to be totally light up. And so um, having a stroll along, uh, um, the area of Rialto Bridge and seeing the sunset and seeing all the lights uh, starting to illuminate the city, that is going to be unreal. And that, yeah. that, that is going to be one of the highlights from my point of view. All right. So so now we have an idea of some of the neighborhoods and some of the off-the-beaten-path locations that someone can experience while in Venice. Let's now turn to the the main attractions, so to speak, the reason why so many people go to Venice and where a majority of the congestion will end up being. Can you take us through how to maybe experience these tours, the best times to do so, and just, I guess, maybe an idea of what it's like to be in St. Mark's Square, the Do Doge's Palace, and things like that? So the thing is, uh, uh, if you are planning to do the Doge's Palace, uh, from my point of view, is uh, don't do, even if you are doing on your own or with a guide or whatever, don't do it in the morning time because uh, um, pretty much from the time that they open um, until 2, 3, 4 o'clock is crazy busy. After 4 p.m. is calming down and during summertime, 
we got several days that the um, the, the Doji's Palace is going to stay open even during nighttime, and that is going to be really cool because there's nobody around. There's the, the entire palace; it will be for you, and that's it. Super quiet, and um, that is going to worth a visit. And so, if you're going to do a visit on the Doji's Palace, I would suggest to do it at four, five, six, seven p.m. Okay. All right. Is there anything someone might miss out on doing it so late or it, or is it the same exact tour? It's exactly the same tour, actually. Uh, probably you're getting more doing late because you got nobody pushing you. Uh, you got no groups that they are coming one after the other. Uh, no people that they are screaming or shouting or whatever. And that, in my opinion, it's a plus doing late uh, or look. If you're going to go to the major room, that is the Major Consiglio, uh, you got a great view over the St. George Island. If you do it late, you got the sunset colors that are going to be coloring the entire uh, southern part of the lagoon. And so for sure, it's going to be, again, another plus. And so late afternoon, evening, rather than morning. Okay. All right. And do you recommend people buy tickets in advance uh, or at the time that they want to actually go on the tour? It's always better to buy tickets in advance, especially if you're traveling on your own, buy in advance, buy a skip the line pass uh, that so you can go directly in. Because if you're getting into Venice during some festivi festivities, patron saints days or religious festivals or whatever, at least you can pop in directly. Otherwise, sometimes we've got lines that are going to last uh, one hour, two hours. And so get the tickets ahead of time that you can pop in directly and that's it. Okay. All right. <clears throat> and so that that area, can you list off all of the different things? I know there's St. Mark's um, Square, the Doge's Palace. Bridge of Sides. Uh, you do have the St. Mark Basilica. You do have uh, the, mm, the bell tower, the, that is the bell tower of the St. Mark Basilica. And uh, you do have the astronomical clock with the statue of the Moors that is standing on the top, that every hour they are banging the bells, actually. You got the Museum Correr with the Napoleon wing that has been built up by Napoleon's uh, in the 1800, actually, in, always in St. Mark's Square, you do have the archaeological museum. You do, inside of the sections of the archaeological museum, there's something that you should go as long as they finish the restoration. Or better, Fra Mauro, Mauro the Friar, almost 600 years ago, he built it up for the first time, the first globe, the first atlas, is in one of the museums in St. Mark's Square. Remember, once that you buy the tickets of the Doji's Palace, you're going to be able to do Doji's Palace, Bridge of Sites, the prisons, but it's going to include the Museum Correr, the Archaeological Museum, and the National Library. And so you're going to be able to do three or four sites for the same price. Wow. Okay. That's really good information. And starting at 4 p.m., you may be able to beat the crowds. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you're going to go on the at the entrance of the Museum Correr, which is opposite of the St. Mark Basilica, the Napoleon Wing, basically. Once that you go on the first floor, you got a great view that is overlooking the entire St. Mark Square. 
Over there, you've got another great cafeteria that is, again, overlooking the square. And that is going to be another great spot for a coffee. Okay. And what, do you know the name of that cafeteria? That, that cafe? And so it's inside of the Correr Museum. Okay. Okay. And so C-O-R-E-R, Correr Museum. And so it's inside of the museum. It's like the bookstore, the bookshop of the museum. Okay. And I am pulling it up on Google Earth. Oh. Let me check it out if I can. Okay. So... I feel like that is a good two days, maybe even you could probably spread out everything that you had over two days. In my opinion, gathering everything that you've already just told us, you could go to Venice. Once you get there, drop your bags, maybe head up to the northwestern portion of the island and experience the Jewish ghetto, get lost in the city, walk around aimlessly and experience it that way and maybe try to, to get some uh, small dishes for lunch and some wine, then I personally think I might head to that that restaurant that you spoke of in that isolated neighborhood, that Aceteria alla Pointe. Nope, no, that's not it. No, it that is... one it was the Osteria alla Frasca. La Frasca, yes. See. Yes, go there for, yeah, there it is. So you can go there for dinner and and just sort of have a, an, your, your first experience in Venice being very light, very easy, and sort of getting an idea of what the city actually is like architecturally and and i think that's a that's a really cool way to do it then maybe the next day after you've had that that experience get some rest and maybe jump right into the chaotic <laughs> touristy destinations and maybe do the gondola rides which actually i want to talk about and then maybe see saint mark's palace and all that there is to do in that in that portion of the city so Igor, are you ready to get into the the infamous gondola rides and the different ways you can experience venice by water yeah, sure. And so, so talking about uh, moving around in Venice, gondola rides, boats, and all these things. And so think about that once that you are in Venice uh, and uh, you are getting at the point that you are fed up of walking, crossing bridges, you can definitely buy a 24-hour Vaporetto pass, water bus pass. And uh, remember that the ticket when you buy it is not starting. The ticket is starting when you validate it. So let's say, you buy today at noon, you validate at 3 p.m. The ticket will be, um, will be starting today at 3 p.m. until tomorrow at 3 p.m. So you got 24 hours, 48 hours, or multiple days passes. You can get as many Vaporetos, water buses, that you want, and you can use it like the jump-on, jump-off bus to explore the entire island. And that is going to be a good way to do it. The other way to visit Venice is what? The gondola, of course. Uh, again, from my point of view, everybody wants to do it, and everybody wants to do it in St. Mark's Square or Rialto Bridge. It's too chaotic. I rather prefer to have a more mm, romantic gondola ride, and if you're going to go down to the area of the Jewish ghetto, you got two or three great gondoliers that they do speak English. They are happy to show you around while that they are rowing. They give you a lot of tips about the city. And I got my best friends there. That is Luca, that is working right at the Jewish ghetto. And he's a great guy. And I would have a ride with him. So for sure, I would go off the beaten path. The thing is, uh, uh, doing the gondola in St. Mark's Square or Rialto Bridge is going to be always beautiful. 
because you've got always something to see. There's a beautiful corner, a beautiful palace, a great opportunity for a picture. Everything's going to look like a postcard. So doing in a quiet neighborhood or doing in a touristic area, I would definitely pick up a quiet neighborhood. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea too. I'm more of the type of traveler that tries to experience it in a quieter way or maybe a more authentic way. I, I always go to these major tourist destinations because I do think they're worth it. There's a reason that there's so many people crowding around them. But when it comes down to enjoying myself, I sort of try to take a step back and go to, I, I really like the idea of going to the Jewish ghetto and uh, I'll hit your boy Luca up, say Igor sent me. <laughs> <laughs> and to pay off, you're going to row for the rest of your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's uh, are those the two major ways is there any other way to experience venice by boat or the, is that pretty much how most people say, will do it think about that gondolas uh, is the most quiet way to explore it and you will be able to go through narrow canals with the vaporetto the water bus you can do only big canals the major canals the last way to experience Venice is going to be with a private water taxi. The same one that you will be using to go from the um, airport to Venice, actually. And so uh, you can go along the Grand Canal, especially, I would say, in the evening, afternoon, sunset time. And you can see the entire Grand Canal, let's say, from St. Mark's Square all the way down to the train station. And that is going to be a great way to see it. So think about that water taxis, uh, uh, the majority of them, they got uh, two decks, one in front and one on the back. Uh, almost all the time they are open. And so you can stand and take pictures and enjoy the Venice atmosphere. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, think about gondolas, they row. Water taxi, they got propellers. And in a water taxi, you can fit max uh, 10 people. Gondola, max six people. And the water buses, you've got something like two, three hundred people. Okay. All right. And so, now, I mean, you just provided an absolute, like a ton of information on Venice. And I really, I have a much better grasp on what to do and how to experience the city. I want to transition to your tour company, Tour Leader Venice, and get into some of the different tours that you offer and how people can book with you and things like that. So I guess sort of explain, you know, what it is you do. What type of tours do you offer at Tour Leader Venice? So we, on the last few years, actually, we're offering, we're specializing ourselves in off the beaten path. What does it mean? It's like going out in Venice with your best friends. So basically, we're going to see Venice in a really quiet way, stay away from the big crowds, uh, stopping here and there for a coffee, for a, a glass of wine or whatever else. But in this way, you're going to be able to experience the city as a local, not as a tourist. So you will be part of the community at that point. And uh, what I'm doing on the last few years is uh, visiting uh, artisans. You have to know that... Um, not many people knows it, but in Venice, we got an incredible print shop that they are still printing like 500 years ago. And they are still, and they got the um, first edition of Pinocchio. And that wow. is, that is wow. I agree, Bob. Or otherwise visiting one of the artisans uh, that is still producing all the masks uh, handmade with paper mache that you can physically see them. Uh, doing the entire work, uh, that is another plus, actually. 
Um, that's what we do. We try to go quiet and see Venice in a smart way. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, so the masks and the art and everything that you get to experience in St. Mark's Basilica, in the actual square, you can now get a behind-the-scenes tour where you take people you know, to experience how those masks are made and how Venice came to be uh, what it is today and, and sort of get an idea of the background operations and the actual work that goes into what people typically get to experience. Yeah, um, you're right. Venice from the back door, for sure. Yeah, that's that's very cool. That's really interesting. And and so how do t people typically book these tours with you? And so normally it's working this way. They send me an email that is info at tourleadervenice.com and we start to talk about uh, what you like. It's exactly like, uh, it's like discussing like me and you. Oh, I like food. I don't like wine. I like art. I like artisans. I like boats. And uh, I customize totally everything. And so, um, to give you an idea, my best seller at the moment is like a off the beaten path, off the beaten path tour, adding up a gondola ride of a boat ride along the Grand Canal and the inner canals, plus artisans. And that one is a great combination because it's going to give you a full overview of the local life. Yeah, that's a really great that you can customize it to different people because they're, yeah, I mean, obviously people vary and, and they have different preferences. And that's something that I don't think you can get a lot with a, with most of these tour companies. No, no, you're right, Bob. But normally I relate myself when I go on holiday that I think what I would like to do, what I, which kind of guide would I like to have when I'm abroad. And so that's why that I'm asking a lot of questions to my guests before that they're coming here, that at least they can get exactly what they expected and exactly what they wanted. And so expectations, they're going to be really high sometimes. And we try to succeed to completely. Yeah. Now, if, if someone's coming with like a young child, as I am, and it seems like a most... Uh, a lot of people travel with, with, with small children. Are these tours catered to that as well? Or do you have a specific tour for families? But look, I got a four years old son. Uh, we are travelers addicted. In four years, it took uh, more than 30 flights. Wow. And so <laughs> we, we know wow. how it's working more or less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so now he's telling us how to do the check-in, where to go, and all these things. And so whatever. I don't want to know when he's going to be 18, but that is a different story. <laughs> <laughs> it will take a while. But the thing is, uh, the majority of the trips, they are uh, child-friendly. And um, if you got, let's say, not really a toddler, but when you got kids that they are, five, six, seven, ten years old, what is going to be cool to do in Venice? Um, learn to be a gondolier. They do rowing lessons in the island of Venice, and that is going to be cool when you are a teenager, maybe. Or otherwise, for the little one, you can paint your own mask. You got the mask, and you can put your own design, your own colors, and that is going to be super cool. Or cooking classes that the entire family is working together to build a pizza or pasta. And that is going to be fun. And that is going to be a great team. <laughs> yeah, I, all of them sound incredible. Uh, and I really like the idea of painting your own mask. And 
that, that's that's a really unique souvenir that you'll have forever. I'm and, least, yeah, and when Halloween is coming, you can wear it and you can scare everybody in the neighborhood. Yeah, it, very quickly, could you explain the history of those masks and how they they're, they've grown popularity in Venice? And so think about that we started to wear masks almost a thousand years ago, actually. And uh, uh, it was like uh, hiding the identity. Uh, the thing is that we were wearing masks uh, pretty much uh, 24-7. And uh, think about that until Napoleon, and so 1800, we were able to wear masks for almost six months a year. And so during that time of the year, we were having a lot of fun. Think about Casanova, that he was Venetian, that he had a lot of fun during carnival time, actually. <laughs> and so the, the thing is, until um, carnival, now better, until Napoleon, six months of carnival, and everybody was having a blast. Uh, after Napoleon, no carnival until the 70s and 80s. And then we restarted to celebrate carnival again. Oh, you, you said that everybody just wore masks all the time? Yeah. Just every we, day they would put a mask on? Every day, they in a, every day basis, we were able to wear masks. The only place that you was not allowed to wear a mask, it was the church, because you had to face God directly, actually. No excuses, no jokes, no nothing. Uh, the, the most incredible mask is the Doctor of the Black Death, the one with the long nose, the long beak, uh, that it was official, a real uniform that the doctors they were wearing through the centuries. They would have stuffed up the nose with garlic, onion, and different kinds of spices <laughs> to kill the bad smells of dead bodies and these kind of things. And they would have wear a thick mantle to protect themselves from the Black Death. That, of course, it wasn't working. But that one, it was the official mask of the doctor of the Black Death. I I did not know that that's <laughs> what they did with the nose. I know the mask that you're talking about. I've seen it, you know, a ton. And Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah, 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 Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, that I did not know that the reason for that nose being so long was that you could stuff it with garlic and onion and get, and get rid of the smell of of death. Wow, that that's that's news <laughs> to me. That's pretty cool. As you can tell, we can. We don't have to make up any stories for Venice. We already got the reality that is quite astonishing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I mean, to me, Venice is sort of like a, a real life Disney world in a way. I mean, the history there, just diving into any part of it, it's so extensive. Can you can your imagination can run wild and you can sort of walk the streets and imagine what it was like for the that time period and the people who live there that's one of the beautiful things about visiting europe to me in general is that the architecture has pretty much remained as is and in some areas for thousands and thousands of years and so that's why to me I, that's why the experience is always so profound and i really enjoy my time in europe in general <laughs> so all right I, I i i oh you know what one one more question tell so me, tell if, me. yeah so something that i was looking into myself um was figuring out ways to buy time for my child to sort of decompress, forcing her to walk around and see architecture, but then also allowing her to uh, go to a park and and run around a little bit. So, what which are where are some of the parks that you'd recommend a small child can play? But also, we can as parents people watch and have a nice espresso, things like that. And so, if you look at the map of Venice, uh, on the extreme right part of Venice. 
uh, we got uh, a park that is called Saint Helena, Saint Helen Gardens. Right there, you got a playground, uh, and there's uh, for the parents. There's like a winter garden bar that you can sit, uh, enjoy a coffee. The kids they can play in the garden, and that might be a nice place uh, to sit down and keep the entire family happy. Okay. Yeah. But and... say, we, we don't have as many gardens as New York or any other city. But this one is pretty much the largest where the majority of the locals they are normally going for jogging or playgrounds for the kids and all these things. And it's it's that very large park on the eastern side? Is that what you said? It's a large park. It's not super large, but it's a pretty large park. It's the park where they do the Biennale Modern Art Exhibition every two years okay all right very cool yeah and so you know since i have you something else that i've i've seen that seems very interesting the basilica di santa maria del salute i don't know how i did that the no no you're right yeah that area doesn't seem to be overly popular is that something that you would recommend people check out uh think about that the entire area over there is really nice because it's like Soho in New York is the artistic part of Venice. Okay. And so the Basilica uh, Santa Maria della Salute, the meaning is San Mary of the Health, built it up 400 years ago to say thanks to the Virgin Mary that she stopped the plague. The entire section over there from uh, Punta della Dogana, the, the, the old uh, custom house, all the way down to the Academia Bridge, uh, you got a lot of small artisans, small shops, uh, that they do totally everything handmade. That is going to be a great spot uh, for a promenade, for a stroll. And if you look at the Church of Santa Maria della Salute, if you go a bit left at the end of the peninsula, that you got that pointed area, that one is a great viewpoint over St. Mark's Square on the left. On the right-hand side, you got the island of San Giorgio, San Giorgio, um, island and that is going to be a great spot for sunset sunrise and people watching and enjoy the entire panorama wow okay yeah, yeah i see exactly what you're talking about yeah it's beautiful i, I really can't wait to be there <laughs> um and and lastly the you, and, and we could touch up on this briefly something that most people seem to contemplate when planning a trip to venice is whether or not they should go to the other islands. And I, I, I think it always comes down to time and how much time someone has on their trip. But very briefly, can you can you just explain what there would be for someone to do on the island of Murano? And then the other one is starts with a B. Is that Burano. Burano. Yes. <laughs> what would someone do on those islands or what would be the purpose of seeing them? And so uh, the main thing is if you're going to buy the 24-hour pass, you're going to be able to cover up Murano and Burano, uh, mainly with the boat number 12 that is leaving from the northern part of Venice. That the stop is called Fondamenta Nuove. And uh, the boat is running regularly from early hours until late night. And uh, for sure, I would go directly to Burano first and on the way back to Murano. And so why going to Burano? Burano, it's a small fisherman island where renowned for lace and for the colorful houses. And that is going to be what the day trip of the Venetians, 
normally during the weekends all the venetians they are going to go to burano to eat to have uh, if you like fish that is going to be one of the greatest spots actually you won't be wrong in any of the bars or cafeterias in the island of burano the other thing is next door to burano linked by a bridge there's an island that is called mazzorbo it's a little tiny island think about that in burano you got approximately 2000 inhabitants you got something like less than a thousand in uh, mazzorbo mazzorbo nobody knows it much but on the last few years we got a vineyard in the island there's a place that is called venice which is like a mm, resort a hotel that they, they restore the original vineyard that we would have had 400 years ago. So you can walk through the vineyard and see a vineyard in the middle of the lagoon. And that is going to be a great experience. Uh, it looks incredible. So I followed it again. I followed it on Google Earth and I followed the bridge. And wow. So this, to me, in my mind, if if someone's listening to this and they've already experienced Venice, and they, they know what to expect there, and they're going maybe for a second or third time. This seems to be like a must-see, if, if they haven't already done it. But I didn't realize that there was actually a, a vineyard in <laughs> Venice. And you can actually, you can take the boat to Burano, and then like like Igor, like you just said, walk across this bridge and through the vineyard. And then the Venisa Restaurante is sitting right on the water and right it has the water on one side and the vineyard on the other. And so, wow, wow. That, that, that is going to be amazing because uh, what's the problem over there? High tide. So it means that, think about that last year we had approximately 58, 59 days of extremely high tide. And so it means that the salted water cover up the entire vineyard and uh, the wine is absorbing the salt. And wow. so it means that the flavor of the wine, it's a mix between wine and salty flavor. And that is really amazing. If you go in Google images, if you do Venice with high tide or Mazzorbo high tide, you're going to see the entire vineyard cover up with the high tide. And that is amazing too, actually. Oh man, you're making my mouth water. <laughs> uh, now, now, now I want some salty red venetian wine all right so so you do that and now you can come back down to murano you, uh, and... yeah you're right and so once that you cross the vineyard you are in the island of mazzorbo at that point you can catch the boat number 12 that is going to take you to murano you're right you get off in faro f-a-r-o the lighthouse at that point actually you can stroll around uh, uh, the entire island of Murano. Think about it, that we got approximately 60 glass blowing factories that they are doing the um, same techniques as a thousand years ago, actually. That is going to be extremely interesting because the majority of the glass blowing factories, they used to be in Venice itself. And for, um, let's say, fire problems, almost 800 years ago, they moved the, the glass blowing factories from Venice into the island of Murano. And that's where we are keeping all the secrets of glass blowing. So mm. doesn't matter where which one that you're going to go in of the 60s. They're all interesting. And everybody's offering different kinds of uh, demonstrations. The thing is, uh, uh, in the island of Murano, if your family has been specializing chandeliers, 
sculptures, all these kind of things for the past 800 years, you're going to join the club and you will be doing chandeliers or sculptures or horses and these things. So you're going to see a real uh, living museum over there. And that is going to be super cool. But definitely Burano first and on the way back Murano because going back to Venice, you've got more boats and you won't be able to get stuck in crowds and a lot of people. And leave yes. early, leave Venice early. That's so you can hit Burano without crowds and then you can easily make your own way back home uh, from Murano to Venice. No. Okay. okay, all right. So last last question for real this time. <laughs> Which, um, if, how many days would you recommend someone stays in Venice and sees Venice before they then venture out to Burano and Murano? And so let's say I would definitely say you need two or three days in Venice itself. And then uh, on the third or fourth day, you go to Murano, Burano and so on. Think about that to do Murano and Burano, you need a full day. You need time because it's a slow boat and going from Venice to Burano, you need an hour and something actually to get there. And so you definitely need time. And if you're lucky enough to have long holidays, longer holidays, actually, on the fourth or fifth day, I would definitely explore the Venice countryside to go maybe to see some vineyards where they produce the Prosecco or some uh, cheese factories or um, microbreweries that Italy is booming with that. And that is going to be really interesting, actually, to see. It's like Napa Valley or it's like the um, Chianti area that you got slopes and beautiful hills everywhere. And so the Prosecco hills are amazing. Ah, I bet, I bet. I, I, no matter how much time you have to visit Italy. <laughs> it's never it's, enough. It's not going to be enough, no. <laughs> wow, wow. So, Igor, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. Before before we let That's you go, good. yeah, can you just share all of your social media accounts, your websites, anywhere people can reach out to you and see see what you do? I know that you post on Instagram story um, or on your page of you walking around and experiencing Venice. So just share all of those accounts so people can catch up with you. And so you can find me in my website that is www.tourleadervenice.com or otherwise I got another website for the countryside that is www.tourleadertreviso.com. You can find the same account in Facebook or Instagram. Oh, and that's about it. Yeah, that's that's that pretty much covers them all, though. That's you know, Facebook, Instagram, you're covered. So, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the show today. I look forward to my time in Venice. Um, I'm gonna, I'll I'll shoot you a message and we'll figure something out. And uh, and if you're in Philadelphia, man, I know you said you tour the United States a lot, let me know. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate Thank you to be with you today. And uh, I really hope to see you soon visiting Venice. You, Bob, and all of you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Igor. Thank you. Ciao. Take care. In my conversation with Igor, we did not really spend that much time talking about St. Mark's Basilica or Doge's Palace, but rather like we, we got into the details on how to explore Venice on foot on your own terms. And I think this is a great conversation for those who like to travel a little bit deeper uh, while, while abroad. While I did not get to participate in the conversation, my time, my short time in Venice was in January of like 2013. It was about two weeks before Carnival. It was dead. Venice was dead. It was That's, weird. 
That's and amazing. That's so. I, I mean, it, it it was pretty cool to be a part of, but uh, the St. Mark's Basilica, the square was completely flooded and with like a foot or two foot of water. And right. a lot of Venice had water, you know, just above the canal levels, like where people were supposed to be walking. Right. And it was just, for me, it was a weird experience. It wasn't everything that it had been made out to be in, you know, the 80s and 90s films with the gondola and the romance. It felt like a dying town. Interesting. Interesting. It's, it's, I cannot wait to go to Venice. Um, the uniqueness of the city is just draws me to it and I'll have to make my own assessment and maybe yeah. we'll, we'll reconvene. I, yeah. I think Venice, the architecture, the uniqueness of it, it was incredible. I, but I think it was more for the novelty of it than the people. And uh, when I travel a lot, it's more so for the people, the entire town was covered with tourists right i didn't know who was a local and who wasn't i think that's the main issue with with this type of city same thing with dubrovnik in croatia you need to sort of you need to go in understanding that a majority of the people that you're going to encounter and you're in these tiny little cities is the are going to be other tourists um and you need to sort of push that to the back and focus on the architecture and the food. I mean, you, you do what you can, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. So, yeah. All, All right. right. Well, if you, if you like the episode, please subscribe to us. If you aren't already subscribed, follow us on our Instagram and Facebook to interact with our guests and get more information on this episode. And if you have some time and you're feeling generous, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And now for the ever important question of the day. So the trivia question this week is what neighborhood with the oldest Jewish ghetto did Igor recommend visiting to get away from the touristy locations of Venice? Now, Elliot, I don't know, you, you, you listened to the podcast, but you didn't, didn't participate, but the word ghetto actually came from this neighborhood within Venice. Really? Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Ghetto. Yeah. Dropping some knowledge on me. Dropping knowledge, man. That's what we do. All, All right. right. So so if you have the answer, please submit your answer to us either via email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or through social media direct messaging. Either way, it works for us. Thank you for listening and tune in next week. 